Evidence and Answers. Are ghosts real? If so, what exactly are they? Can psychics actually talk to the dead? What about those who have claimed to have gone to heaven or hell? How should we evaluate their experience? You're listening to Evidence and Answers with your host, Patrick Zugrin. Pat is an author and teacher in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Join Pat today as he interviews cult expert Dr. Ron Rhodes on the topic of ghosts, and the paranormal. This entire interview, along with other interviews with top Christian scholars, are available at evidenceandanswers.org. I'm sure you're going to find this show challenging and intriguing. So let's join Pat now for part two of his interview with his guest, Dr. Ron Rhodes. Now here's the thing, Pat. Very often when John Edwards goes on to describe their relative that has passed on, someone in the studio audience will say, well, that doesn't sound like my uh, grandmother or my grandfather, or whoever it is that passed on. And they've always got their excuses ready. You know, they'll, they'll always say something like, well, you know, when you pass on, you leave all the bad baggage behind and changes take place. I might mention to you, Pat, that I saw them on the Larry King show one time. And uh, James Von Prague got a reading entirely wrong of somebody that called in. And then John Edward, who was also there, said, I sense that the reading is correct, but it's for a person in the next building over. <laughs> I mean, that's just an excuse, but they've got these excuses right ready. Yeah, okay. So you say the big difference is that if someone is really possessed by a demonic force, I mean, it changes their personality and possibly, you know, their voice. And do they do other things? Well, there are other things. There's paranormal knowledge that can take place. Sometimes there are things that the person could not possibly know otherwise that they come right out and say. And that does not mean that, you know, that Satan is omniscient and is influencing this person to say those things. But the fact is, is that there are demonic spirits that answer to Satan in a hierarchy. And as they communicate knowledge to Satan, the fact is that these famous psychics who are in contact and trafficking with these evil spirits may sometimes say something that has credibility or something that actually did take place that that psychic could not have known otherwise. And so we have seen those kinds of things happen. And, you know, those kind of people are especially dangerous because the people who contact them and get involved with them get sucked deeper and deeper into occultism. And here's the danger, I think, Pat. I mean, it's especially dangerous for Christians because today, if you look in some of these little tabloids that are published locally in different cities, there are advertisements for Christian psychics. And these Christian psychics say that they've got a gift to the Holy Spirit to get in contact with the dead. When in contact, they're, they're actually in contact with the unholy spirit, yeah. you know, Satan himself. And so there's a lot of Christians who think that they are, within the will of God, seeking you know, a Christian psychic. And I just want to say in no uncertain terms that there's no possibility of any psychic being acceptable to God, even if they call themselves a Christian psychic. That's an oxymoron. Yeah, the Bible clearly teaches against that. You know, you know, Ron, you mentioned something really interesting. I've talked to several psychics, and most of them I, I considered bogus. I've really never met one who really had super, this kind of supernatural knowledge or capability. You said you've run into a couple, or at least have uh, known of some that truly have this ability? Well, yeah, I think that Kevin Ryerson is, is one good example of it. 
Kevin Ryerson, as I said before, is Shirley MacLaine's channeler. He's one of the most expensive channelers in Hollywood. And by channeler, I'm, I'm referring to a spiritist or a medium. A channeler is another term. It's kind of a whitewash term that is used to describe somebody that can get in contact with either your guardian angel or, you know, somebody that's died that has passed on. And I spent over two hours observing Kevin Ryerson right up front, right close to him. And it seemed very, very clear that this guy was trafficking with demons. And, and another guy that I encountered, who I believe is also trafficking with demons, that I spoke with for over an hour, is a, a new ager who was the head of the Tara Center there in Los Angeles. His name is Benjamin Krem. And this individual claims to be in contact with the cosmic Christ and other spirit entities. But there's no question in my mind that this individual was trafficking with, with demons. Now, the contrast would be someone like John Edwards. It seems like to me that John Edwards has become a master. And I think I would put James Von Prague in that same camp. These guys have just become master role players in cold readings where it seems like they're in contact with a spirit entity because of the way they're handling themselves. But it seems more like they're tricksters, and the evidence seems to point toward that. Just to give you one example... John Edwards has been caught talking to people beforehand, before he does a reading on television. Not only that, before his show would film, he would have 10 or 20 of his own people circulating out in the studio audience trying to dig up information that would then later be communicated back to Jonathan Edwards. And so, you know, when you got that kind of bogus stuff going on, you know, the suspicions become very, very high that something bogus is going on. You know, Ronald, what does the Bible say? Are there any ghost encounters in the uh, Bible? I'm thinking of one, I think it's from Second Samuel, where Saul requests the witch of Endor to raise yes. Samuel from the dead. Is that a ghost encounter we got there? Well, you know, a lot of people will say so. In fact, I can tell you that some of the psychics themselves like to quote that verse, and they think that that verse actually proves that psychic phenomena is something that is acceptable to God. But that's actually quite false. In fact, you know, apparently this particular medium was a trickster herself. In other words, she apparently was heavily involved in tricking people into thinking that she was in contact with the dead when in fact she was not in contact with the dead. And this is one of the reasons I say that is that when she was trying to contact Samuel and bring Samuel back from the dead, Samuel actually appeared. And she shrieked with fear, apparently because she wasn't really expecting him. But there he showed up. Now, I don't think that Samuel showed up because she had some kind of a supernatural power. I think that in this case, God had a very specific point to make in judging Saul for his evil. And so it was God himself who made Samuel appear and pronounce judgment against Saul. And this is what theologians call descriptive and not prescriptive. In other words, this is describing something that occurred one time in history. It's not prescribing something that can happen in the future with psychics calling forth the dead. And so I don't think that the medium of Endor provides any kind of scriptural evidence for modern psychic phenomena at all, but rather that's a one-time event where God had a specific goal to accomplish. Yeah, you know, in that passage in First uh, Samuel 28, Samuel says, you know, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Or why have you disturbed my rest? Uh, what is Samuel saying there? 
Well, you know, I think that God had Samuel appear, and Samuel was at rest. You know, the book of Revelation says that those who die in the Lord rest from their labor. And Samuel was at rest, but he was disturbed by being forced to come back, you know, to do God's bidding. I'm sure he rather would have not had to come back, especially to pronounce a rebuke against Saul. But I think it's clear from consulting other verses of Scripture that the medium itself did not have the power to bring him back. Nobody has the power to bring back the dead but God alone. Now, that doesn't mean that those verses that forbid you know, psychic phenomena in mediums are disingenuous. But rather what it means is that there's an inseparable gulf between the living and the dead, and that gulf is not permitted to be crossed. You might remember in Luke 16, verses 19 to 31, you remember the, uh, the rich man? He wanted to engage in contact with his living relatives. And Abraham said that the gulf is fixed, that contact is impossible, and it's not permitted. And so consulting verses like that lead me to believe that there's a, a chasm between the living and the dead that cannot be breached. And so what the medium of Indra was trying to do was impossible in the first place, but God nevertheless brought Samuel back to accomplish the goal of pronouncing judgment against Saul. Now, there's another phenomenon called near-death experiences, or NDEs. Now, what's going on there, and is that proof that maybe the spirits can stay behind or something? What's going on there? Well, what's going on there, I think what happens is that, you know, the spirit departs the body, and the person's not totally dead, but he's dead in the sense that his body is metabolically stopped. In other words, his heart has stopped beating, and allegedly the spirit can hover about and see the operation that's taking place in the ER and describing the color of the shirt and words that were said and, and these kinds of things. And allegedly this represents proof you know, that the soul survives death and that really Christianity is not unique. I say that because very often the people that go through this experience claim to meet a, a being of light, often identified as Jesus Christ. And this being of light often says that you don't have to be a Christian. All people go to the next level of reality, you know, the astral zone or the, the astral plane, as it's often called. There are many planes, many levels to the astral plane, and so spirits keep on evolving, whether you're a Buddhist or a Hindu or a Christian. And often this spirit being of light says that, that we take sin much too seriously, that we should just relax about things here on earth, and that people no longer fear death after going through this experience. Now that emboldens me to say that this may be a bona fide example of a different Jesus as Matthew 7 and Matthew 24 warns us about. And as the Apostle Paul himself warns about in First and Second Corinthians. And, you know, the true Jesus would never say that, because the true Jesus told us more about hell than any other person in the Bible. But this being of light tends to disavow that. And keep in mind what the Apostle Paul said, that evil spirits, including Satan, have the power to mimic an angel of light, including a, a, a different Jesus. So in my opinion, you know, a lot of these people are encountering a phony Jesus. Now, I have to be careful, Pat, because I think there are some Christians who have had an experience where they're on the deathbed, and they do encounter some kind of reality. I'm thinking about Dwight Moody, for example. You know, when Dwight was in the, in the process of dying, he said that he did see his family, some of his children who have died, you know, at Heaven's Gates. 
And so a lot of people warn that, you know, just as there's a counterfeit, that maybe there is a real thing, such as experienced by Dwight Moody. But in my opinion, the great majority of situations that we experience today with this alleged being of light, boy, that's a big red flag for me. You know, Ron, I've also heard testimonies of people who have died and gone to hell and give great description of what went on down there. Yeah. And I also hear other stories about people who've died and actually gone to heaven. Now, what do you make of some of those stories? Well, you know, you know, when I hear Christians talk about, a lot of the best-seller books today are about this. It seems like if you write a book about your visit to heaven, it's, it's going to make the New York Times bestseller list. Right. You know, I don't want to be the guy that, on the one hand, calls another Christian a liar. Okay, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to do that. But here's what I do want to do. I do want to encourage Christians to test all things against Scripture. Uh, it's like the Bereans in Acts 17:11, and Paul himself said to test all things in First uh, Thessalonians 5:21. And as we test all things against Scripture, there's certain things that that, that make me wonder about some of these accounts. You know, for example, in Second Corinthians 12, remember when the Apostle Paul was caught up to paradise? Yes. God told him things that he was forbidden. He heard things and saw things that he was absolutely forbidden to reveal once he was back on earth. So my question becomes this. Why is it that modern writers spend hours in heaven, or 90 minutes or whatever, and they're free to say everything they saw up there, when the Apostle Paul, as an apostle, was absolutely forbidden to say, you know, to reveal what he saw? Why is that? That makes me wonder about the legitimacy of some of this stuff. And it also makes me wonder... How come in some of these great visions that nobody's ever seen Jesus Christ or God, and why is it that the gospel is never mentioned? You know, and why is it that there are certain things that take place, like the, like the description of physical attributes of all their relatives, like the, their hair or their noses being larger, you know, certain physical attributes. And, uh, and I raise that because Scripture indicates that at death our spirits go to heaven, and we haven't been resurrected yet, not until the day of the rapture. So how come physical attributes are being described? You know, I could go on and on, but the point is, is that as you test some of these experiences by Scripture, boy, it seems to fall short in a number of different ways, and so I urge caution on all this stuff. Yeah, you bring up a good point. You know, about that passage in 2 Corinthians, uh, just speculating here, why do you think Paul was forbidden to speak of what he saw? Well, you know, I've got my own opinion on that. My opinion is that if Paul came back here, and talked about, you know, the specific details in all of its fullness as to what heaven is like for those who have trusted in Christ, I think there might be a massive exodus. (laughs) (laughs) You know, people wanting to die left and right. You know, the fact is, God's got a purpose for us being on this earth. He's got a calling for us to be evangelists and to lead other people to the Lord and be witnesses to the, the light of Jesus Christ and sharing the good news with others, and being salt and light in society and so forth. God's got a purpose for us being here. I think if Paul came back here and described in full detail everything of what he saw and experienced there, that people would just want to be dead and, and go to heaven. Even Paul himself, after he had that experience, he wanted to depart and be with Christ, for, you know, Philippians one twenty one. So he could hardly wait to get back there, based upon what he had experienced. So, you know, in good time, According to God's sovereign timing, we will die and go to be with the Lord. Until that day, God's got a calling for each one of us on this earth. Okay, well, Ron, I think you've given us a good understanding of ghosts and paranormal activity. Now, when a person comes up to you in church, let's say a fellow believer in the Lord and says, Ron, you know, I think my house is haunted. I think 
there's spirits in there, there's, you know, lights are turning on or I'm hearing voices. How do you respond to that person? My first question is always very pointed and very clear and has almost always yielded the same result. And that question is this. Have you or one of your family members been involved in the occult? Very often the answer is yes. You know, the houses where there's paranormal phenomena taking place have very often had somebody that has participated in the occult, even Christians. Now, I don't think that Christians can lose their salvation, but I do think that Christians can, number one, compromise their faith, and number two, they can start to experience things that go bump in the night, as it were. They might wake up having some of these frightful experiences where they sense a presence at the foot of their bed or something like that. And so, you know, like I said, there's only one person who can overcome that, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. But for the person who's been involved in the occult, step number one is to repent and turn from it. Step number two is to burn all all paraphernalia. Get rid of it. Get it out of the house. I'm talking about tarot cards, also called tarot cards, depending upon who you speak to, a Ouija board, you know, the game board called Levitation. I mean, there's just a lot of different games out there that involve the occult. Or if you've been reading astrology columns, if you've been involved in seeing a Christian psychic, and you know, a so-called Christian psychic or any other kind of psychic, any of those things can invite a demonic presence, not only into your life, but into your home. And so, I mean, you've got to repent and get rid of any junk, and you've got to renounce it. And you've got to surrender your whole life into the Lord's keeping. Now, if you've been involved in the occult for a long time, I also recommend getting other believers in the church to pray for you for a period of not less than three months. And I only say that because demons like to come back. You'll remember when Jesus talked about when spirits are cast out, you know, they they like to come back, you know, manifold. And so my point is, is that demonic spirits don't like to let go. And once they've been ousted, you need to make sure that you've taken the necessary steps to make sure that, you know, that they're not going to come back. Now, let me be careful about what I've just said, Pat. I don't believe that the Christian can be demon-possessed. I believe that once the Holy Spirit indwells that Christian, then demonic spirits cannot inhabit that person. But I do believe that Christians can be oppressed from without. And if you're involved in occultism, that oppression can become so intense that it might even mimic possession. That's the position of Charles Ribery at Dallas Seminary, and I think that he's got a good point there. So again, repent, get rid of all such paraphernalia that's occultic-related, renounce it, and, you know, take that extra step of getting some other Christians to pray for you, and this phenomenon should stop happening in your house. That's probably more information than you wanted, Pat, but that was such a good question that I, I needed to answer it fully. Yeah, you know, we run into a lot of that, especially where there's a strong background in animism in the culture. We get a lot yes. of Christians from, you know, in different parts of the world that where there's animistic or tribal religions around them. That you know, one of the things, um, say that. you're reminding me, Pat, of something very important, and that is that today we're experiencing the emergence of many little hybrid religions. You know, there's a lot of Christians who have who've, uh, trafficked in the New Age today, and as you know, animism is part of the New Age, too. 
I'm sure you remember the Findhorn Garden, promoted by David Spangler and others. Yes. Where these spirits inhabited this, this desert land, and, and these f- wonderful flowers emerged as a result of this. Well, anyway, there's, there's Christians who are merging their Christian beliefs with New Age ideas like animism. There's also Christian Wicca. There's Christian paganism. There's Christian Hinduism, you know, with this deep contemplative prayer movement that's going on. And that, too, can invite demonic spirits into the Christian's life. And so we've got to be careful to come out and be separate, as the Lord has said. Yes. Well, Ron, you've written a great book on this whole topic. Tell us about it. Well, you know, uh, this is a book that I wrote because I sensed that many Christians needed to have some answers to questions about the, the occult. It's a book called The Truth Behind Ghosts, Mediums, and Psychic Phenomena. And uh, it's not a terribly long book, but it is a book that provides everything you need to know. I might mention to you, Pat, something that happened to me when I was writing the book, and that is I ordered, oh, probably 50 or 60 books from Amazon, books on ghosts and psychics. I got a phone call from Amazon, and they told me, I don't know what, they said, we don't know what has happened here. But somehow the box has become obliterated, and all the books inside it have become virtually obliterated. Wow. And I started to wonder, you know, maybe Satan doesn't want me to see those books. And then I thought, maybe God doesn't want me to see those books. And then I thought, well, maybe it's just a bad mail delivery system, you know. But I did get other copies, and, you know, I read the books, and I wrote my book as a result. I do not recommend that other Christians read that kind of literature unless God has called you into apologetics and a ministry of discernment. And you've got elders at your church praying for you. That's exactly what I did. And so this is not for everybody, but, you know, this is a book that I wrote to help Christians understand what's going on, and the book emphasizes throughout that victory is found through Christ. Yes, you know, I've talked to several men who have researched in the occult, and other kinds of world religions, and uh, they've had encounters like you, or things in their life just really began to fall apart as they've experienced some real deep spiritual warfare. As they well, yes, it, it is absolutely true. In fact, I know that when I was doing the writing of the book, um, I just really started to feel a strong sense of resistance and spiritual oppression, and that's when I met with the elders at my church. And once the elders prayed, it lifted immediately. But, you know, in a way, Pat, this is kind of a roundabout proof for the spiritual realities that the Bible talks about. I mean, it is, it's like experiential proof that the Bible knows exactly what it's talking about. And so to me, it just put an exclamation point on the need for us as Christians to understand this topic and to make sure that we don't taint ourselves or stain ourselves with this garbage. Yes, and Ron, you also have a website. Uh, tell us about this website where people can get more information on topics like this. Well, people can sign on to ronroads.org. That's R-O-N-R-H-O-D-E-S.org. We got a lot of free stuff you can download, and you can sign up for our free newsletter. We don't ask for a dime. We don't ask for a red cent for that. So, I mean, that's free of charge. And, you know, we're there to help. God has called us into a ministry of discernment where we help people, not just in terms of the occult and psychics and ghosts, but cults and general apologetics. If you've got a question, we've probably got an answer. And so that's why we exist. Yes, you know, Ron Rose has also written some other great books, the Reasoning Through the Scriptures series, Reasoning Through the Scriptures with Jehovah Witness, with Mormons, with Islam. There's a whole series on there on cults and world religions, isn't there? 
Well, there is, and those books are also available on Kindle and Nook. and However you like to read books, it's probably in that format already. And, you know, we're real thrilled about that. We're just trying to help the body of Christ. In fact, Pat, whenever I write a book, the number one question I ask myself is this. How can I help the body of Christ in some way? I could care less about sales. I'm interested in helping the body of Christ. And so that's why I've written the books that I have. All those books are available at the website, as well as, you know, Barnes & Noble and Amazon.com and all those other dot-coms out there. Yes, and I've got about a dozen of those on my shelf. <laughs> uh, books well, I guess with... I owe you a commission of some sort. <laughs> yeah, you know, books with the name Dr. Ron Rhodes on there, you're going to want them on your shelf. He's one of the best experts in this area of cults and the occult. Well, we've been talking about ghosts and paranormal activity, and you can get more information on his website and through his wonderful book here. Well, Ron, thanks for being on the show with us. Well, thank you, Pat. It's been a pleasure. This concludes Pat's interview with Dr. Ron Rhodes on ghosts and paranormal activity. If you missed any part of this interview, log on at evidenceandanswers.org and you can listen to the entire series and enjoy other great interviews and resources right there on the site. Pat is the director of the Pacific Apologetic Center, a subsidiary ministry of the Bible Institute of Hawaii. Pat's ministry relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. If you've been blessed by Pat's teaching, please support him in prayer and with a financial gift by logging on at evidenceandanswers.org. I hope you'll be with us next week as Pat and his friends continue to present evidence for faith and answers to tough questions and issues. Evidence and Answers Radio Show is a ministry of the Pacific Apologetic Center. Join us every Saturday right here for more of Evidence and Answers. Oh, 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 oh